Welcome to the Sleep Science Pod, the podcast that reveals the science behind one of the most fundamental, yet most mysterious, of human behaviours, sleep. I'm Dr. Caroline Horton. I'm an academic psychologist and the director of Dreams Lab. I also really love sleep, so personally, as well as professionally, I know how important it is for our mental and physical health. Throughout this series, I'll be talking to guests about their common sleep complaints and offering evidence-based tips for getting that all-important shut-eye. Together, we'll evaluate the evidence that sleep improves all aspects of health and well-being, and whether it really is that ultimate panacea. Already within this series, we've talked about how crucial sleep is for our physical and mental health. And yet, in spite of that, many of us simply aren't sleeping enough. And by that, I mean around eight hours of largely uninterrupted slumber per night. Yet most of us manage to get through the day and to accomplish our tasks without major problems. So, is all of this hype around sleep overrated? You might have heard about the problems associated with sleeping too much. So really, what does the evidence suggest? We'll try to answer these questions in today's programme. We know that sleep is absolutely crucial for our survival. We quite literally die without it. In fact, we can survive longer without food than without sleep. But for the most part, rather than being massively sleep deprived, we might notice some little daily fluctuations in how much sleep we get. So how problematic is it then to say, sleep around five hours for one night rather than eight. This isn't massive sleep deprivation and it's just short-lived. Well, there have been some excellent experimental studies of the effects of very specific amounts of sleep on both animals and humans' performance in a wide range of tasks. I'll stick with the human evidence here for simplicity. When comparing individuals who sleep in a lab for five rather than eight hours, reaction times are slower memory and concentration are deeply disturbed, and people even perceive neutral stimuli as if they're negative, like a threat, something we might be familiar with if we've woken up on the wrong side of the bed and then blame other members of the household for it. Researchers Pilcher and Hufka in 1996 used a meta-analysis to explore the effects of sleep deprivation on a range of cognitive outcomes. A meta-analysis is where very specific kinds of scientific evidence are all compared systematically to see if there's evidence for an overall effect by pooling a load of data together. They found that mood was more effective by sleep deprivation than either cognitive or motor performance, but those aspects of performance were negatively affected too. But partial sleep deprivation, so just a little bit of deprivation, sleeping less long than normal, had the most profound effect on functioning compared to either long-term or short-term sleep deprivation. In general, These results indicated that the effects of sleep deprivation might be underestimated in some other reports. We need to take it seriously, particularly those concerning the effects of this short-term or partial sleep deprivation. Another, more recent meta-analysis demonstrated that sleep disturbance, so having interrupted sleep, and longer sleep duration, as well as short sleep duration, were associated with increases in markers of systemic inflammation. So this process, this biological process of inflammation, which is problematic when it's not in response to injury, seems to rely on continuous and uninterrupted sleep, but not too much of it. These health patterns aren't unique. 
with a single night of sleep having been evidence to increase the likelihood of catching the common cold, and even with higher rates of hospital admissions for heart attacks following the spring clock change when we lose an hour of sleep compared to normal days, we can see that sleep affects some quite serious aspects of our health and functioning. We have to be careful though, as for the most part, a number of things about our lifestyles might affect our sleep. That is, how long we sleep for isn't experienced in isolation from other parts of our daily routines, like being busy, feeling stressed out, or perhaps already being a bit under the weather. Experimental studies take care to explore just one factor at a time, like sleep duration. But out of the lab and in our real lives, we know that sleep, diet, exercise, as well as more psychological issues like whether we're worried about something, they all interact with each other and with our sleep patterns. A huge amount of evidence demonstrates that sleeping for shorter amounts of time are problematic and that sleeping for around seven and a half to eight hours a night is still the ideal time that we should be aiming for and actually that there's little variability in different people's need for that. So if you think that you might be one of those people who can get away with just five or six hours a night, the chances are that you might be getting away with it for now, but really you'd fare better if you slept for a couple of hours more. And what about these longer durations too, sleeping for nine hours or more a night? Well, yes, indeed, evidence does seem to suggest that there's, that, that is associated with poorer health outcomes too. But typically, this affects fewer of us than when we're thinking about the problems of shorter sleep duration. And also, sleeping for longer can be associated with additional problematic lifestyle factors, just as shorter sleep durations can, like other health concerns or perhaps not having to get up due to having an inconsistent daily routine. So whilst there are problems with sleeping for too long, namely over nine hours a night, try to keep this in perspective it's more likely that you need to sleep more rather than less. And also, it might be that the problems aren't with sleep, but with maybe wider issues in our lifestyles anyway. So let's say that we've had a late night and consequently lost a few hours of sleep. It might have been unintentional, having to stay up because one of the kids was unwell, maybe. Is that going to affect us? Well, yes, I'm afraid it is. Much of the experimental evidence comes from studies in which people have slept in a lab for just one or two nights, and the effects on behaviour and function are apparent even then. But we can't help this, can we? Life's unpredictable. So is there anything that we can do? Well, yes, fortunately. Here are a few evidence-based tips. Sleeping in a regular routine as much as possible helps to train the brain and body to know when to sleep. So if there are occasional disturbances, hopefully you'll be able to bounce back again into a good routine quite quickly. Similarly, actually it can be quite easy to scupper that routine. So if you've fallen off the wagon routine-wise, ensure you get back to normality the following night. That just requires a bit of effort and an intention to prioritise the importance of sleep. Perhaps you had a late night and tried to lay in a bit the next morning to ensure that you slept enough. It might be tempting then to stay up later the following night too, but try to resist that. It's better to go to bed earlier to catch up on sleep rather than sleeping in later. And you'll be able to do that well if you're feeling kind of tired. Naps can be good for us. They help to catch up a little. 
Lots of evidence show that short naps can be beneficial for mood and memory and other performance as well, with one study even showing the benefits after a nap as short as six minutes. Short naps are key though. If you nap for more than around 90 minutes, you run the risk of not only catching up on sleep that you need, but also stealing a little from the following night. And that might then disturb your subsequent ability to get to sleep. Think of a nap then as an add-on to the previous night's slumber if you need it, as a top-up rather than helping you to rest in advance of the next night. Studies that have looked at people who tried to catch up on sleep at the weekend, perhaps because they've not slept enough in the week, actually don't fare too well in terms of regularity of routine. It confuses the body and the brain to have this routine that changes every few days. A team of researchers in Korea have conducted a number of studies exploring this very effect and found that whilst catching up on sleep is associated with lower body mass index, for example, which sounds like a good thing, it's also associated with increased suicide risk. So this is serious stuff. In general, their research demonstrates that weekend catch-up sleep offers some health benefits, but only when compared to being continually sleep-deprived. But the inconsistency in that routine has some serious negative consequences too. So should we catch up on lost sleep? Well, yes, if needs must. And the most sleep rebound, as it's called, tends to happen in the first sleep period immediately following the sleep loss. But this method shouldn't be relied upon. The benefits of a normal, consistent routine are the best thing for us and they can't be understated. This all seems relatively clear then, but how do we know if we're sleeping enough anyway? We know that the more sleep deprived we are, the less accurate our estimations of how much we've slept are. And in fact, there can be great differences between well-rested people's estimates of how long they've slept for compared to more objective measures like that gold standard EEG that we've talked about in episode two of this series. Well, we can try to keep a diary of how we're feeling. That's one way of doing it. And also how long we feel that we've slept for to monitor any changes over time. We can also make a note of how sleepy we feel throughout the day. It might become clear then, for example, that we feel we've slept less on Monday mornings, but actually we feel less sleepy on Mondays. That might reflect just a possible grumpy Monday effect of simply not feeling ready to start the new busy week, rather than actually being tired or sleep deprived. In the same way, we might notice that we always feel tired at similar times each day, a post-lunch dip maybe. And we might be able to then try easing off the caffeine a little earlier in the day to ensure that when the effects of caffeine wear off, it's not worsening that feeling. So monitoring may not always be super accurate, but the more measures we take in general in a consistent fashion, the clearer the picture for our own lives may be. Sometimes it's hard to disentangle possible effects of sleep from a number of other things going on in our lives. I talked to TV line producer Lauren Wilkinson about her work, her sleep and her routine. Hi there, Lauren. Thanks for speaking to us today. Hello. How would you describe your sleep pattern? It can be quite scattered and unpredictable. uh, Yeah, those are the words I'd say. Never consistent, never reliable. 
do you think it's changed in recent weeks and months over lockdown in particular? I think it it has, but maybe in the in as much as I'm not examining it and analysing it in the same way that I was before lockdown because um, I wasn't going into the office every day. I mean, I'm not working at the moment, um, but when I was still working, but working from home, I think that took it still took some of the pressure off. If I didn't sleep well and I thought I just looked awful and just wasn't firing all cylinders I didn't have to be on I didn't have to be switched on around my peers surrounded by them I could just you know I don't know just look bleary-eyed and sit in my sweatpants because I didn't have much more energy to do anything else without people seeing you know apart from maybe on zoom when I might put on a little bit of an make a bit more of an effort but it, it, I felt um felt like the pressure was taken off and that's pressure I think that I, I put on myself. Um, but I do know, I can sense I've got another job starting um, next week actually. And although it will be working from home predominantly, I've already got that kind of feeling of like, oh, am I going to start? You know, I don't think I will have learned any new lessons and reset anything. I think I've just let myself just kind of relax a little. But I know because this is what I do, that that anxiety will start to come back in and I'll start to go, did I get enough sleep? If I don't get enough sleep, then I won't be able to do the job tomorrow. And then, yeah, I'm trepidatious about that, is what I'd say. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you are aware that if you don't sleep enough, that can become an anxiety in itself. Is that Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like work is a big influence on your patterns, your sleep and your daily patterns. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Absolutely. So my job can be incredibly varied um and when we're in production um on a i work in tv so that when i'm on record day it can start very early and it can finish very late and you're not having much of a break during that those days and also that in the days running up to that to, to filming it could be quite intense as well so they're really quite irregular hours um and they can go on late into the night so the last job that i was doing we'd say we'd finished at work around about 10 or 9 p.m. on a Thursday evening. I'd be in the studio for about half nine, no, nine the next morning. And then I probably wouldn't get home until maybe one o'clock in the morning on a good night. Um, so that affects your sleep. You can't, you read about like sleep hygiene and the importance of routines. And I see all of this stuff, but quite often my job just doesn't allow allow for that and then if I go and work on another show it'll be a completely different routine I could be working all the hours God sends for a week at a time or maybe two weeks and then it'll be quiet again so it's very difficult to establish a routine and of course that just blows any kind of attempt at keeping a routine just out of the water really. How do you feel if you don't sleep enough the next day? Um, Bleary-eyed and just just feel like I've got to drag myself throughout the day just and you almost like have a pep talk with yourself going right we're going to do this we're going to get through it it's going to be fine and obviously you get warmed up and then you're on your way and it, it's it's fine it's never as bad as what it feels like when your alarm goes off and you've had no sleep in that moment but um it just feels like everything's just a drag um and it's just oh that's always the, the phrase I feel it's like just digging deep um to just just do things and that's it physically as well especially if I go through prolonged periods of being flat out and not sleeping well physically I know I 
they've got the symptoms of just feeling run down I can feel it and then I start to think about like the fit the actual physical effects of not having sleep and of course you see all these reports about if you don't get your eight hours of sleep then you know it can increase your risks of dementia and cancer and all sorts of stuff you're like oh great another thing for me to worry about I can't help that I can't sleep um so yes it can be yeah it can just have a, and a bit of an emotional effect as well obviously you can get short-tempered and you know Mm, it, it does sound very challenging I mean we know that routine is really important mm -hmm. to develop a sleep habit so your body is trained to know when to switch off and mm -hmm. you use that term about switching off or not being able to switch off quite a lot so it sounds like if you have to be on so much it must prevent you from switching off is that how it feels when you're in these intense work periods definitely um and that's it when I, I come home you get into bed and then you're thinking about, you're just filing away the day. And then also as well, if I'm busy and I've got a busy day the next day, obviously preempting and planning. I want to, I like to have the answers to everything. And when I don't have the answers to everything, I don't feel great about it. Although I appreciate it, that's a super, superhuman skill and no one really does have all the answers, but I put that on me. So not only am I filing away the stuff that happened that day and the things that went wrong and what how I would do it again, and I think about it over and over again, I'm also then thinking about the stuff that might happen. Um, and because my job does involve an awful lot of those things of problem solving, it really um, picks up on my, what the trait that's in my personality that <laughs> needs to be correct all the time and needs to have all the answers. So it just... It means I'm good at my job, but it also means that I actually, you know, it's very difficult to, to switch off, which then makes me kind of question whether I can do my job because I haven't got enough sleep. So then it's just this nice vicious circle that goes around. It sounds like an issue of a, a conscientious mind. <laughs> I would suspect that you're probably doing a far better job than you feel you are. But if that confidence is not as a result of lack of sleep it's then hard to get back on track yeah I think that's right in, actually I've never thought about it in terms of confidence but I think you're right it, there is that there's I mean like many people you get that sense of imposter syndrome and I think that really that's it that exacerbates it because I think I'm not going to be able to do it right and that's it it does it definitely it will affect my confidence I've never really thought about it in confidence terms but yeah mm. definitely we know that as we said a changeable sleep routine can impact on the ability to switch off. Being physiologically aroused, if you're running for the tube to get home, for example, can make it difficult to switch off physically. Mm -hmm. And then you talked about these more psychological anxieties that also make it difficult to switch off. Which do you think affects you the most, if you could work it out? Do you think it's a mix of all of those things? Or, or do you think... Um, you know the, the emotional or the physical might be particularly problematic I do I think it's a good old mixture of both of them really um I think where I've got to sometimes when I'm really busy with work but I'm really tired and you've got to dig deep and I've read about you know like your cortisol levels you know being constantly raised and so that ability to kind of switch off and I wonder whether you know, the, the adrenaline's just going so whether even though I feel physically shattered. My body's still just going, no, we're going to dig deep. We're going to keep on going because this is what we do, Laura, we do this. Um, so I think perhaps, I think it, it, it's that. I think it's, yeah, I'd say it's a mixture of both to, to be vague. I think it's just a nice mishmash of everything. I mean, that makes sense. And mm. it's not like we as humans separate out those physical from the psychological. Yeah. We know they're mixed. 
it, it may be that when you are on set, if you're able to get back, that you're not able to do that, but you might be able to have even a, just a 10, 15 minute walk as a lunch break, at least it's a separation. So one thing that we've been talking to some of our other students and colleagues about lately is setting boundaries. And that's not just necessarily at the end of the day to separate day from sleep. It might also be from work for you and not work. And if you can create some habits to train your body and your mind to say, it's okay to take a break, then hopefully you'll be more productive and efficient when you're on. And also recognizing that it's okay. You know, you do deserve to have this time for yourself. It's not selfish. And it's yeah. good for you. Yeah. So, uh, I, I really hope that works out. And we wish you all the very, very best. Thank you. Lauren's situation really hit home to me about how many different factors can influence sleep and that it can be hard sometimes to identify what the real underlying cause of any sleep problems might be. Is there a real sleep disorder, for example, that then leads to decreased sleep and all of those negative consequences of that, like poor memory and concentration, low mood and poor physical health? Or could it be that there's something different that's the core problem which is affecting our inability to sleep well and then in turn that still produces those negative effects? The relationship between sleep and health is what we call cyclical and bidirectional. Whilst poor sleep might bring about particular challenges in terms of functioning in our daily lives, it doesn't simply and cleanly cause all problems, but it can worsen our ability to cope. And then that, in turn, can make it harder to switch off and get to sleep again, which may need more time for sleep than ever after a tough day. In Lauren's case, it seemed that perhaps struggling to sleep switch off was more of an underlying issue than the sleep problems themselves. But good sleep hygiene may still help. And if you can recognise some of your own experiences in Lauren's descriptions, perhaps have a think about whether there are some specific worries that might need supporting in your lives, in addition to thinking about your own sleep health. Many people seem to struggle with their sleep, either a bit or quite a lot. It might not reach clinical levels, but sleeping insufficiently could still be a public health issue that needs our attention. Let's do our bit to sleep well ourselves as much as possible. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Sleep Science Pod. I hope you found it helpful. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review. You can find me on Twitter at Sleep and Memory. This has been a production by The Chancer Collective. And until the next episode, sleep well. <laughs>